Today's program has been brought to you by Bonnie Plants. BonniePlants.com. I'm Brianna Kurtz, host of Eat Your Words. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. I'm Brianna Kurtz, host of Eat. And I'm Chris Kuzmi. And we're your co-host in this weekly journey of all things fermented. Archived on Stitcher, iTunes, and right here at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3, and we depend on the support of listeners like you. Heritage Radio Network has over 30 shows on all kinds of amazing topics, especially food and beverages. Become a member today by going to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. There are a variety of membership levels, and depending on the level, you'll get a free gift, as well as discounts at local establishments like Jimmy's Number 43. Speaking of things locally in New York, coming up on July 14th, Monday, July 14th, we've put an event together called Kegs and Cluckers, and this is basically to put... Uh, home brewers in touch with local urban chicken farmers. Um, it's a party for home brewers, chicken keepers, and the people who love them. Find out more by going to justfood.org. All proceeds from this event will benefit Just Food City Chicken Project. Lots of fun there. Awesome. So another very cool event is coming up on August 9th. It's called the NY Pro-Am Brew PIT. PIT standing for Philosophy, Inspiration, and Technique. It's a one-of-a-kind event. They basically have paired six different home brewers with six different local craft brewers. Is that right? Am I right? That's correct. Yep. The home brewers have sat down with the pro brewers, gotten a t- tour of the brewery, um, shared some beer, and talked about brewing. So the local the ho- local home brewers are going to brew a beer based on this meeting, and that will be served alongside the pairing beer right, from the commercial brewery. Anyway, it's a very cool event. There's going to be two sessions on August 9th at Covenhoven, which is located at 730 Classic Classen Avenue in Brooklyn. Tickets are $25, and they're available now. Please go to bitterandesters.com for more information and to get your tickets today. Fun stuff. Speaking of today, what is today's show about, Mary? All right, so the last Bruisers meeting, Brooklyn Bruisers is a local homebrew club that meets at Browery Lane in Greenpoint, neighborhood of Brooklyn. And uh, I was lucky enough to attend last month, and they had a in-club competition on sour beers. So there were... I was actually really impressed with the, the entries. Um, so I interviewed the brewers afterward, and... Right now, we're going to hear from Stuart, Alex, Steve, and Jared on their sour beers and how they brewed them. Enjoy. I'm here at the Brooklyn Bruisers meeting on June 2nd. So we just finished kind of a mini um, club competition featuring sour beers. So I'm here with three of the brewers. So I'm going to have you guys introduce yourselves and then talk about what you made. Hi, I'm uh, Stuart Donnelly. Yes. Uh, Alex Delgico. Steve Townis. Super. So tell me, Stuart, what did you make for today's meeting? I made a accidental sour. Um, 
I was brewing a uh, Russian Imperial Stout that uh, I brewed on my wife's birthday, which is not a good idea. Do not, I do not advise doing that, <laughs> especially when she says, "What I want for my birthday is for you not to brew." Um, which had jury duty? Oh, no problem. She's going to be at jury duty, and I can brew, and it'll all be done by the time. But she got excused for jury duty, so she came back mid-brew. So that meant that uh, I had to put the the water aside for several days until the anger uh, subsided. Which apparently, when you do that, kettle sours the beer. And so when I eventually, three days later, brewed the beer. It didn't taste anything like I expected it to. And, uh, apparently, uh, kettle souring was an old technique that is used to make a sour beer. Um, so I, when I first tasted it, it, I've never tasted a sour before, and I thought, what the hell is that? And so I brought a bottle along to my first meeting of this brew club and um, asked, is, is this beer savable? And uh, they, they said, well, actually, it's not bad. Um, just age it for a while and it might be okay and I was like wow people actually like this stuff and since then I've actually started drinking sours and appreciating sours and uh, slowly starting to like my own sour <laughs> uh, so that's the uh, the history behind my sour <laughs> and this is a Russian Imperial Stroud Russian so why, Imperial Stroud do you remember the ABV on this? yeah it's about uh, 9.5 so it's, uh, it's it's supposed to be a very strong chocolatey tobacco flavoured uh, stout that has this very strong uh, certainly when I when it was first uh, bottled was a very very sour flavour that just smacked you in the face and you couldn't taste anything else and over the months I've been uh, bringing bottles along and uh, the sour flavour has been mellowing slightly and the other flavours have been coming to the forefront so I'm hoping within a couple of years it might be something I actually like <laughs> All right, Alex, tell, you brought two beers tonight, so tell me a little bit about them. Okay, uh, the first one I did was um, the 100% Brett, uh, the Bruce Lynch's, the Trois, I forget how to pronounce it exactly. It's the um, White Labs did it a few years ago. I don't know if it was a permanent collection or something they do as a special, but that one just was, you know, a straight Belgian blonde style grain bill, and it just sat in a keg for two years because everything else jumped it in line. And eventually I went, I don't know if that's good or not, so I just left it. And when I tried it, it was, it had some weird flavors. Uh, it almost tastes like a caparina, as, um, but it's 4%, so it's not from the booze. It's from the, the, the bread. It gives some interesting flavors. And I'd been looking into the yeast a little bit, and a lot of people had described it as uh, Skittles, kind of weird, limey sour taste so I could concur on that one because it's basically what it had um, the other one is the was basically the all it is is the same exact grain bill but it's the product of the starter that I've just kept going for a while which is leftover wort from a brew day stuck it by a window overnight it started kind of bubbling the next day I, then I just kind of leave it in my apartment and just continually feed it Dregs from any kind. Every time I get a Cantillon or a Jay Fontaine or a Bierce or a Russian River, anything I get, you get the you know last little bit goes in there. So wait, at this point, is it is it a closed container at this point, and you're you know opening to add dregs, or is it just continuously open? It's closed in the sense that it, there's a piece of tin foil on top of it. 
Um, I, I would imagine it's close to like bugs falling into it, like literal bugs, but not to you know. It's not very tightly contained. And and the interesting thing about this one is when it went into the secondary just to get it off the main yeast cake and age for a while, all, all in glass. It went from something that looked like a blonde, like a really, really light blonde, like a wit beer, to something that more approached, like it dropped a few degrees in color, like an almost amber became when you looked at the entire thing. So it's, I'm proud of the beer and I'm very happy that I have uh, four gallons left. So. <laughs> and what is your inspiration for, for brewing sours? Oh, this is because I can't get Cantillon anywhere, basically. <laughs> I mean, that's really it. I, I just came back from Belgium, and I had a backpack full of Cantillon, so. All right, Steve, tell us a little bit about what you brewed tonight. Sure. So I, I guess I'll just kick it off by saying National Homebrewers Conference is next week in Grand Rapids, Michigan. We're all looking forward to it. Uh, the kickoff beer, one of the kickoff beers last year was from Weiss, which is a Berliner Weiss. And Weiss, as, as you all know, uh, comes up with any yeast under the sun, including a lot of sour yeast, a lot of different things with bugs, all kinds of bread. And the, the representative from Weiss was serving this Berliner Weiss, and it was the first sour beer that I ever had that I could actually roll out of bed and drink. It tasted like lemonade, and I remember just drinking and saying, like, oh my goodness, this is not only like less than 3%, but it's really tasty. So I actually had never brewed a sour beer until last a uh, few weeks ago, and sours were the theme. I'm a new member of this homebrew club, and I asked around, so what can I brew in th- less than three weeks? And people said Berliner was, so I still had the recipe card from last year's National Homebrewers Conference, and that's what I did. Um, I started brewing it with a little bit of a kickoff of the, the lacto yeast starter in the beginning of May. I let it cook for a week or so before I actually brewed the beer, and I dumped it in, and I think it came out okay. I mean, for less than three weeks, it's a sour. It's drinkable. It's under 3%. And did you also add in another yeast besides your lacto starter? I did. I added in the uh, the Weiss German ale yeast, which just gave it some more body. It gave it a little more of like the classic wheat flavor. Um, again, it was based. It's not something I did. It was based on what uh, Weiss passed it out at, at last year's uh, National Homebrewers Conference. They gave out recipe cards for three beers. Well, the one was the Berliner Weiss. The second was a Kolsch, and the third was a Berliner, uh, not a Berliner, a um, a Belgian Trapel. So I've done two of them now. The last one's going to be the Kolsch. I'll do that this summer. All awesome beers, and this one came out in under three weeks. Okay, I was I was happy to serve it. So tell me, so has this experience inspired you to maybe make more sours, or what's your take on sours at this point, on brewing sours? It's inspired me and terrified me. I was joking around with these guys, like, I don't want to infect my brew house. <laughs> All the rest of my beers are, I know what I'm going to get from them. And now I like, I like drip and drab here and there. I don't know if it's going to affect anything, but I guess we'll see. Come back to me in a few months, and I'll, I'll let you know if it's, if it's infected things <laughs> in a bad way. All right, so we had 11 sour beers in this um, in the tasting tonight, and I actually thought the majority were actually very excellent. I mean, the quality was pretty amazing. What were what has this inspired you guys? Is there something you know that you taste on this list that has made you go, "Oh man, I want to you know try this"? Or what do you think? 
It's difficult to say because some of the, uh, the, the beers on this competition are so complex in the way that they were made and seem so almost abstract. Uh, it wasn't working the way that they were intended to brew it, so they brewed it some other way and an accident happened. And So I think a lot of these beers are very hard to reproduce. But it also shows you that if you're brewing a beer and things go completely wrong and you have some fungus going on it, uh, the natural instinct is to throw that away. But uh, I think you can hold on to that and maybe bottle it or keg it and leave it for a couple of years and suddenly you've got a very unusual beer. So really, accidents can, can make very, very nice beers. Oh, they can make terrible beers. <laughs> it's, it's not a guarantee of success. <laughs> so how about you, Alex? I know, I mean, you've been brewing quite a few sours, and you're obviously, you know, more advanced sour brew. Was there anything that kind of has inspired you or a takeaway from today? Um, I'm, I'm very impressed by everyone's Flanders style reds and the brown that were in there. They were like, I've never done one like that because, honestly, it was too long. In the field, I mean, I know I had a beer that aged for two yeah, years, but that was just an accident. <laughs> I mean, not an accident, it was an oversight, but it was, um, you know, not meant to be that long. And those had some, I mean, one of them, I think Chris's tasted exactly like a Leafman's Gudebron, like straight up old brune. So, it's, if anything, it's made me go, I don't have another sour beer on tap yet. I really got to get one going because it's it's a process and it's a time thing. So I only have what I have in a keg, and I better get on that. Awesome. And how about you? Because you're also a first-time sour beer. Yeah, so. I, I agree with Alex. The Flanders blew me away. The Weed Moran was awesome. All those ones that just aged for, you know, six-plus months, you don't know what you're going to get from them. And they keep getting better is the awesome part. So it's definitely inspired me to get something going soon. And... Maybe in a year ago, a year down the road, when we have another Sours competition, something I brew in a month or two will be uh, just right at the sweet spot. In a year or two, I'm going to be producing the same sour because I, <laughs> I don't like the sour that I brew. But, but apparently in a year or two, it's going to reach its peak. So we'll be back. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. I'm here with Jared Brownell, who brought a Guza to the Brooklyn Bruisers Sour Beer Meeting. So, Jared, tell me a little bit about this beer. Um, so, it is a Guza. I aged it for one year in primary fermentation, so I didn't transfer to secondary or anything else like that. Um, the yeast is a blend of basically just a Y yeast, uh, uh, Brettanomyces, and then a couple bottles that I've just had lying around and drunk and continuously added to fermentation over the first month or so. And um, just let it down there, forgot about it for about six months, added some uh, Hungarian oak, and then let it age on that for six months, and then bottled it, and uh, there we go. So this is a bottle condition beer? It is a bottle condition beer, okay. yes. So wait, tell me again, how old was this? Uh, one year in fermentation. Okay, and, and then how long was it in the bottle? Uh, two months so far in the bottle. Okay, did you re-yeast when you added it to the Yeah, bottle? I did re-yeast. Okay, cool. Um, so what was your inspiration? Have you done some sours before? I've done um, old Flanders Red Ales. I've done a couple of those. I haven't done any straight gooses. And I've done a lot of, just a lot of sour saisons, just okay. adding a primary fermentation with the Saccharomyces and then adding a Brettanomyces for, uh, for finishing it out. And, and how do you feel? Like, when did you decide when to bottle this beer? Yeah, I was tasting over probably a series of couple months, and it just... It started to get a character that I really liked about it, and I thought it was a good time to put in the bottle, and it just it was nice, dry, but still a little bit sweet, and a good time to do it. So tell me a little bit about what some of the other sours that you've made, and kind of your inspiration, as well as some techniques and learning. 
Uh, a lot of my inspiration is the Russian River and um, the Jolly Pumpkin beers. I, they're two of my favorite brewing companies. So uh, I use a lot of their yeast in what I do, too. So I do a lot of just a straight beer, and then after two weeks or so, I'll add the dregs of one of their bottles to see how it turns out. And are you just adding straight dregs, or are you building, like, a starter for I uh, usually or? use straight dregs. Okay, so you're drinking a bottle, drinking and a bottle and pouring it in. the bottom. Yeah, which awesome. is, it's great for one-offs, but it's hard to reproduce. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, and tell me a little bit about, so when you're, are you doing anything different when you're mashing or boiling in order you know, because you know these are going to go sour? They, I usually mash actually a little bit higher than I would for uh, a typical uh, Belgian beer. So typical Belgian beers I do like 148 or so. Sour beers I do anywhere from 150 to 154. Okay. And and tell me why. Um, just to create a little more complexity and a little more sweetness. Otherwise, they, they tend to turn out really bone dry and not much body to them. Because right. you find that the Britannomyces and other bacteria... Um, just for, you know, people that haven't made sours, they tend to really munch a lot of those sugars that the yeast, regular yeast. Saccharomyces can't eat. So. Yeah, they just, they choose through everything and you end up with, it's a, sort of a nice beer to start with, but then it finishes so light, it's just not, it doesn't balance well. Yeah. Now, do you often use, because you, you mentioned that you use Hungarian oak with your guza, do you often use oak with, with your sours? Uh, yes, most of my sours I do use the, the Hungarian oak. I like that one more than the other ones because it has a little more um, coconut flavor to it. The French oaks are great, but they're better in like a straight brown ale or something else like that. And what form are you using? Because I know, you know, as home brewers, we now have corkscrews available to us as well as, you know, uh, chips and cubes and all kinds of stuff. So uh, primarily use cubes for, for aging them, just because okay. it's easy, easy to use. And um, over the years, I sort of build up a collection of different, um, I save the cubes from batch to batch and label them and Mix and match them and throw them in another batch and see just see what happens. Now, are you sanitizing your cubes before and, like, between, or how are you uh, The first time I do sanitize them, I just put them in the microwave and on high for, like, 30 seconds or so, just to get a little warm, and I pour it in there. But between batches, I like actually like to keep the yeast, mm-hmm. keep going, and whatever happens just happens with it. So so how are you packaging? You said you're, you're kind of packaging them. Are you keeping them in fridge or freezer? Uh, typically, I put them in a, a Ziploc bag and take the air out of it and then put them in the refrigerator and label it and forget about it until the next batch or sometimes just forget about it, what it is altogether and throw it into something else and see awesome. what happens. Now, have you used fruit or anything, any other kind of additives in your sours yet? Uh, not in sour beers, no. I mean, they've typically been just straight um, straight day, uh, grain beers. I've I've tried sour and other beers, and or sour fruit and other beers, and it's it's turned out hit or miss. I, it's something I still need to work on a lot more. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. Great, thank you. Hi, I'm Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. Do you love us? Do you really? Do you count on us for real food news and content? Well, we need your help. HeritageRadioNetwork.org is a not-for-profit organization, which means we depend on underwriting, grants, and the support of members like you to keep broadcasting. Help keep our voice alive. Visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org and click the Donate button today. We promise to never stop in our mission to create a world that's more sustainable, equitable, and delicious by expanding the way eaters think about food. Thanks for listening, and thanks for showing your support. Hello, do-it-yourselfer. Ever thought about gardening? If you can build that window box, you can build a raised bed in your backyard. 
Bonnie veggie and herb plants in raised beds make a fast weekend project with a big payback. Fresh, grow them yourself tomatoes and peppers, kale, basil and thyme, and so much more. Bonnie plants are healthy and strong and help jumpstart your garden. So get growing. Plans and how-tos at bonnieplants.com. And we're back on Foment About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We're continuing to listen to members of the Brooklyn Bruisers Club talk about their sour beers that they entered in a recent in-club competition. So let's hear what Jeff, Chris, and Joe have to say about Brewing Sour. Jeff Lyons, you entered a Flanders beer in tonight's uh, sour beer mini competition. So tell me a little bit about this beer. Yeah, so this was the first sour I've ever brewed. It was definitely... I had wanted to do a sour for the short time that I'd been brewing before I actually did. And the fact that we had set a sour competition up with the bruisers uh, gave me the impetus to actually go ahead and do it. And for me, once I decided to do a sour, a Flanders Red seemed like the no-brain choice to, I felt like I had to do first. So did a lot of research, looked at Jamil's recipes, looked at past AHA winners, National Homebrew Competition winners whole bunch of recipes and just decided on one of the past uh, AHA entries that had won. So the I kind of combined that with some things that I read online. So I brewed that recipe and just pitched a straight pitch of Rosalaire, no starter, and then let that go for four months, racked it off and put that into a glass carboy. And that day brewed the same exact recipe, pitched onto that yeast cake and pitched an additional pack of Rosalaire. Four months later, so eight months total, I took both those beers and kind of went 50-50 back into a keg, and that's what we had tonight. So as of today, it's been about a year, but it was eight months when they were taken off all of the bugs and blended together about 50-50, and we're going from there. That's fantastic. I have to say, that was. I mean, there was a lot of excellent beers. That was beautiful beer well done job especially since it's your first sour so what Very what lucky. was your kind of takeaway from not only brewing that beer but also tasting some of the other beers that people brought tonight when you say homebrew and you say sour i get a <laughs> bit nervous i get really excited but i get a bit nervous and i expect a lot of like acetic bombs and things that were maybe unintentionally soured and just kind of bad beers that people don't know what to call them so it's a sour and here you go um i was actually really impressed of the 14 or 15 entries we may have had i think that there were only one or two that were sort of mistakes that were sort of salvaged somehow um i'm just super impressed with everybody that is brewing sours right now it is it's awesome it's exciting and i feel really grateful to be able to taste what everybody else brings for us so have you started another another sour in the meantime have you been bitten uh, by a, the sour bug <laughs> i have a problem at this point yes i i got bit by the brett bug and i get bit by the sour bug and i would say that like 75 percent of my fermenters right now are filled with either full-on sours or brett beers uh yeah it, the brett beers are awesome because you can turn them around so quickly and you're talking about 100 percent brett fermentation yeah, okay. uh, mostly, but I also have some Saccharomyces and Britannomyces mm-hmm. blends. And what are you finding? So for those kind of beers, you said a fast turnaround, because I feel like a lot of homebrewers come in and they say, oh, man, Brett, that's going to take a long time. So 
is your experience? Um, with 100% Brett or even a blend, as long as you pitch them up front together. I've been turning around in like four to five weeks. And I really think that if I wanted to, I could probably do a little quicker than that. Now, um, are you? What styles are you doing? I guess based kind of based styles. I'm playing around with everything. Um, so for me, the natural thing to start with with a Brett. So I took the White Labs Brett Trois and brewed like a session IPA, then turned around and pitched like a full strength IPA onto that that yeast. Mm-hmm. Um, so that seemed pretty natural to start off with. Um, some of the blends with some of the really cool new yeast providers like Yeast Bay. They're doing the Vermont strain with Brett, which is like the Conan yeast, supposedly, maybe. <laughs> I think so. Um, so you get like this awesome like apricot and pear esters off of the Saccharomyces part. And then you get like that typical like Brett Trois kind of thing. Like when you do the Brett at a really cool temperature, you get all that fruitiness. So you get like pineapple and guava and... Yeah, just super citrusy, tropical. It's awesome. And then if you make a really hoppy, like fruity hoppy IPA with that, it just becomes. You're talking about kind of awesome. new, new world hops, like. Sure. Or just... Mosaic and like what is now Equinox 366. So, like, kind of the really fresh fruit, juicy hops yeah. is what you're finding success with. Tons of fun. Yeah. Awesome. It's also cool to play with. Even things like Cascade that are just super and Centennial. I think I think the very first Brett 100% Brett IPA I did was like Centennial and Calypso, almost 50-50, like all the way through. And it turned out awesome. I mean, you get the complexity. You get the fruit from like the esters off of the Brett, but you also get some fruitiness from the hops. You get some sort of piney, almost dank things from the hops. And yeah, just three or four things going on all at once and it's it's really nice it makes for a really kind of complex rounded out beer yeah awesome well yeah. thank you so much and i look forward to trying some more of your beers i'm here with chris prout at the hey. brooklyn Brewers sour beer meeting so you actually you're a pro brewer now I but am. these were home brewers home brewers these, that were kind of left these these are uh beers that i started before i i became a, a professional brewer i guess uh that, that have been souring in my apartment awesome yeah so tell so, me a little bit. Of, so we start. We're gonna start with the Deutsch Light. So tell me okay. a little bit about this beer. That was probably brewed about eight months ago. Uh, it's a Berliner style Weiss beer. Uh, started with lactobacillus starter. Uh, let that work on on the the wort first for about a week, maybe two weeks, and then brought in a Brett strain that that was uh, isolated from. Dimitri from BK East, and then I finished it off with uh, a German ale yeast, and then let it condition uh, probably about 65 to 70 degrees for seven, eight months. Yeah. Now how? And I let the you... airlock go, go dry on that, so that's <laughs> that's why I got a little bit acidic. Yeah. So when uh, when you did your lacto starter, what was your? Did you just use a normal wort for your lacto starter? Yeah, or? it was dry malt extract. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then you had, actually, this is one of the most, this was a really good tasting, actually, a really good comp, mini comp, but this was a very interesting, uh, something you called Old Bruiser, a Flanders Oud Brun. Right. So this was a, um, a Baltic Porter that was blended with a Flanders Red. So tell me a little bit about this. All right. So, so I've got, I've got quite a few sour beers going at home and they, 
I guess they have different characteristics. I brewed on a 12-gallon system, so I would split the batches, and, and oftentimes I would uh, just make a sour. I would I would pitch a yeast that I wouldn't typically pitch on on a batch, and let it go and see how it develops. Uh, this one was a Baltic Porter slash foreign extra stout ish type of beer. Uh, the Old Ale blends the English style yeast with uh, I believe it's Brett Lambicus is in there. It gives it the cherry pie tart flavors, but it really I I did let a lot of my airlocks go dry, and I think a lot of uh, acetic acid picked up because of it because of the oxygen take up. But uh, it was very acidic, and I had a Flanders Red that that didn't turn acidic enough, so I did I did blend about four parts of the Baltic Porter and one part of the, the Flanders just to help round it out because I think on its own the, the Baltic Porter with the old ale blend was was a little bit too sharp, a little bit too uh, had a little bit too much bite. And what do you recommend for homebrewers that want to do you know, that kind of are experimenting with sours, have a lot of things going and want to try blending? What would you recommend? Uh, I would I would recommend going out to any type of sour event or like a tasting bar where you can buy samples or even at home, you know, uh, maybe maybe even play around with some balsamic vinegar at home and just like mm-hmm. sprinkle it in in your, uh, you know, your English bitter or your mild or something or, or you know, just see, see what that acidity is like, you know, because you're going to get some uh, acidity from, from the bread over time, but mostly it's acetic acid. Uh, the Brett can help round it out, which is nice. Uh, Brett strains are, are different, but yeah. And then lastly, you had the, the Ruddy Duck Flanders Red. That's right, yeah. So that was a Flanders Red base with the Deutsch Light plus a Saison with Brett. So right. it's a blend of three different beers. It is, yeah. So, so how, yeah, so I mean, that's a, that's kind of the trick. That's, I think, a lot of things, something that homebrewers are often in, or even prober, any brewer, is intimidated by is, right. is, is blending. No, it's, it's, you know, why not? It's, it's, you have, even, even with beers that aren't sour, blend, blend them up and, and see what they're like. You know, you can make uh, a brown ale out of a pale ale and a stout. You know, it's, it's something you should try. It's, it, and oftentimes it might not work, but if you, if you're a home brewer and you have, especially if you have kegs, you know why not try uh, different things, you know, and see what see what comes out of it. Now, so what have you learned from having all these sours going as a home brewer? I know you guys are starting sours at right. Greenpoint. So what what are you kind of taking from your homebrew experience into, you know, pro brewing? Well, initially it was time. You know, it's, it's, you have to be patient. Uh, I think you, you have to learn what lactobacillus likes. You have to learn what Britannomyces likes as an environment. You know, th- those are definitely keys to, to getting the, the types of flavors that you want in, in a sour beer. Um, yeah, experiment. Just, like, have fun with it. Yeah. Hey, Chris. I'm here with Joe Kirkhoff, and you brewed one of the most interesting beers in this sour competition. And I actually had this a few months ago. But tell me a little bit. It has a very interesting origins and treatment. So how does beer originate? 
I was given some beer kits as a gift that are meant for Mr. Brew, which is, um, I don't want to insult it, but it's not the most interesting way of homebrewing. It's a way of basically not knowing what exactly you're getting out of it. And um, not wanting to just literally throw them out, knowing that they're barley sugar but not much else. There was some pre-extracted hops somewhere in that. I don't really know what that means. I, I boiled those with water and added some extra hops, not too many, and put them into a new barrel. Uh, the idea was more or less to keep the, uh, the barrel wet um, because I had rinsed and I'd swelled it with water and I wanted to be able to use it in the future um, and to test how well it did. And so the, the fermentation started in the barrel. It started well. It held pressure. And then over time, it became evident that the barrel had a little bit of a leak. And um, ultimately, about after about six months, uh, almost half the liquid in the barrel evaporated. And I don't have any idea what portion of that was water, what portion was alcohol. So I have no clue what the final uh, alcohol or final anything else on this beer really was. Um, but it came out tasting a lot like sherry. It came out tasting like um, a dry to semi-dry sherry. Um, I don't know sherry that well. I It makes me think Oloroso, but that's probably meaningless. Um, and it's... I don't love it, but it's interesting and it's, it's worth drinking. Oh, absolutely. And I, I feel like, I mean, this is kind of the best way that oxidation can happen, basically. Because you're getting almost like that pure sherry flavor. There's no cardboard. There's no other kind of off flavors. It's really a very interesting beer. I think actually if you poured this for most people and didn't tell them what it was, they would never guess that it was beer. Yeah, I, I don't think beer when I drink it, I <laughs> yes, guess. absolutely. Um, there's another beer in the same barrel. I haven't told you this till right now, but there's another beer in the same barrel. And it's a it's a paler beer um, and a much more standard brew. I, I don't remember exactly, but it's I think a little bit of wheat, otherwise barley. It came from actual grains and hops that that I saw before they became the beer, and um, and that beer has uh, a little bit of some kind of bacterial um, film over the top. I'm forgetting the name right now, uh, but yeah, Pelico. I mean, it should be more like an actual sherry. It has a little of the same character. Uh, once I saw the Pelico, I, I occasionally pulled the, uh, rather than just having a bung, I actually just have an airlock just in case on the barrel. And uh, every once in a while I pull that out and I've shined a flashlight in there. I haven't done it for a while because when the Pelico really developed, I just figured no reason to break that up. Yeah. Um, but it does have a little of the same character in, well actually a lot of the same character in something that still tastes a little bit more like a beer. Um, so we'll see when I get around to, to bottling that, what it turns out to be. Um, I'm not too concerned about it. It's, it's still evaporating much more rapidly than it should. And I'm going to talk to someone who knows a lot more about barrels than I do, who's offered to, to fix up the barrel. But um, it's been an interesting experiment. And then I, I look forward to having a barrel that gives kind of more normal character to the beer. <laughs> yeah. um, but, uh, but in the meantime, it's been something fun to have around and then... I mean, as you suggested to me, Mary, I, I might in the future blend a couple of these bottles back in with something. You know, I could open a quart or a half gallon or something like that of the, one of them or two of the, you know, even blend two of the different oxidized beers into something that I keg or into something that I bottle condition, but that I want just a little bit of that oxidized character. Um, they're, 
more than worth having around, even if they're not exactly what I expected to get from buying a barrel. Right, exactly. And I think that's a big lesson in sours. I mean, a lot of people brew sours, and they're not very predictable, obviously, right? But there's a lot of happy accidents, and I think you're, this is an example of one of them. I remember you telling me when you first tasted this beer, you were just like, oh my God, this is terrible. But you let it sit, you you know, were very patient, and it's really turned into something interesting. Yeah, I was more concerned that it would become terrible, that it was it was, it was was maybe bad on the way to something, and you encouraged me to hang on to it, and um, and I'm glad you did. I mean, it, it's today, the homebrewers meeting, we had this competition, and the average vote for it was higher than my vote for it. Uh, only by a little bit. I mean, it, it's, it wasn't a knock it out of the park great, but it was it was well received. Yeah, um, it's very non-traditional, even for a sa- the sour category, it's non-traditional. So. Yeah, and and so it's interesting to have it around. And you know, one of the things I always heard, and one of the reasons as a lover of sours that I held off brewing them, was that I heard, you know, you pitch something in like you you brew not in a barrel as I did with this one, but you. You pitch, you know, a culture of whatever souring agent, lacto, etc., um, and you don't really know what you're going to get. Which I'm not sure that's quite as true as people say. It, it is true, but I've done a lot of non-beer lacto fermentation that works out very well. It's controllable. It's somewhat predictable, um, and especially with a pH meter, it's easy enough to see where you're coming, where you're getting to, rather, um, and the kind of trajectory you're heading down. But it is true that you're not going to really know where you're going to end up. But on the other hand, I think that's people say that and say it as though it's a bad thing. And I think that comes out of professional brewers being concerned that if they don't know where they're going, they might not be able to sell something. And as home brewers, we can, we can have a happy accident. We can have a weird product that is nonetheless good and worth having a few gallons of. It might not be amazing. It might be less than we hoped for, but I'm not disappointed that I put a little bit of time and a little bit of money into it. And, um, you know, and it teaches me something for perfecting great sours, hopefully, down the line. Absolutely. Awesome. Thanks, Joe. Thanks. And there you have it. Don't be bitter about your beer going sour. Happy accidents do exist. Not guaranteed, but they're out there. That's right. Next week, we're super excited to have Ken Getty from the Chaos Homebrew Club in Chicago. We met Ken and tasted a lot of the Chaos beers uh, when we were at the National Homebrewers Conference in Grand Rapids last month, and they are doing an amazing thing. So it's gonna we're super excited to have him on next week. So tune in next Monday, 7 p.m. on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Amen about it. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>